Welcome to Here We Are, the podcast where we talk all about things that make us human through the lenses of story and curiosity. I'm your host, Joy Bork. This is the final act of the Things and Stuff miniseries. Today, we are diving into the concept of things containing value because they mark important moments in our lives. This kind of marker has many names. In the Bible, it's referred to as an Ebenezer, a stone of help. It can also be known as an altar or item of some sort that is set up at places where a challenge has been overcome. It's a symbol that can stand the test of time and consistently be a reminder that overcoming is possible. One of the things I've come to know about myself is that I easily forget moments of overcoming. I forget my own success stories and keep following the information that tells me I'm stuck, without hope, and I probably won't make it through this challenge. I've been trying hard in the past few years to intentionally remember that I've made it before, I'm here now, and I can totally make it again. I'm not alone. I am not without options. Even on my darkest days, the sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. A few years back, I went through a church-sponsored recover program because I realized how deep codependency and anger have their roots inside of me. Throughout the course of that program, I learned that, indeed, I am not stuck. I have found countless creative ways to make it through the tough times over and over and over again throughout my life. And I can do it again! At the end of that program, each participant is encouraged to choose an Ebenezer, a stone of help, to memorialize the journey of this process. For my Ebenezer, I chose a tattoo. I chose something permanent because I don't want to forget that I've made it. It's on my inner left forearm and is a line of seven paper airplanes of varying sizes. Each of these planes has incredible meaning to it. Artistically concealed in the line work of each plane is the word brave. This has been my word of the year for many years. I am brave. I can do hard things. I am strong and worthy of trust. Each airplane's nose is pointed in a slightly different location, which ties into one of the scariest moments when I was in flight training. My mom, who was my flight instructor, was demonstrating to me the inherent stability of the aircraft by pulling the airplane's nose up until the airplane stalled, then letting go of the control yoke. Oh, I still feel anxious thinking about it. The airplane lost lift in this stall, then went nose down until it regained enough air over the wings to pull the nose back up. This pendulum action happened repeatedly until I literally could not handle it anymore. This was the most out of control I'd ever felt in a vehicle, the only time I've ever felt airsick. Mom graciously pulled out of the maneuver early, and my stomach eventually regained a sense of normalcy. But even in this state, we still came out okay. No matter if I feel that I'm going straight and true, or if I feel upside down and overwhelmed, I will come out of whatever I'm feeling, and I will keep flying. One of my greatest success moments in my life is when my mom trusted me with an airplane to go on what they call a solo cross-country flight, 
which means flying over 50 nautical miles away from my home airport, all by myself. I remember being in the plane, looking out at the patchwork of fields I was soaring over and realizing, I'm actually doing this. I really, really am. I felt confident, I felt free, and it was amazing. And I was only 17. There is so much more meaning laced into my tattoo than I could ever have imagined. It's a totem that will stand the test of time and will remind me that I've made it this far and I can keep going. These Ebenezers, totems, moment markers, symbols, whatever term fits for your experience, each of these items looks so different. Today, we're going to dive into what these look like for a few different people. Remember this story? I also have a basketball that I may or may not have stolen because this is a podcast and no one knows this, but (laughs) from our rival when we beat them in high school. Like I took the the game ball. ball. (laughs) And it still says their name. It says the name of the school on the ball. (laughs) Because I was very proud of that moment. It's important to me, but no one else who didn't go to that school would even care. I honestly just love that Taylor shared this story with me. It makes me laugh and it is so relatable. This basketball is a moment marker for Taylor. A symbol of overcoming. It has immense personal value to her and will continue to do so. I have so many things that I've kept because of the moment they represent. Like, say, mm, a bloody broken autographed brick from a world record brick breaking competition that I volunteered at in junior high. It isn't as much a symbol of overcoming for me personally, but it is a metaphorical reminder to push through, even if it feels like you're hitting a wall. If you stop at the wall, it hurts worse than pushing past the wall, breaking it in the process. As humans, we all have differing relationships with these moment markers. Taylor is very sentimental towards her basketball. I feel eh about the bloody brick. Yet, both of these items still contain value. My friend Mark has a very interesting take on his own milestone markers. I design things for a living, and one of the things that comes with being an engineer designing through the living is sometimes you end up with patents. And when you get a patent in my company, at some point they get together and they say, okay, in the last two years or whatever, we've had 15 people get patents. And so we're going to have a little celebration. So they get a bunch of people from the design groups together and they say, oh, so-and-so got a patent. And they stand up there and you say a word about it. So you get this plaque. And the plaques are reasonably expensive because they're all one-off. They're all custom things. They cost a couple hundred bucks, whatever. I was having this discussion actually last night with some friends of my sister. This hasn't come up for years, but somehow it comes up to us in 24 hours. I know people at my work that put their patents on the wall. I don't like those people in some ways. <laughs> I don't like that they show off this. So I, I like the fact that I get these plaques and I don't throw them out. I don't burn them, but they're stacked on a shelf. <laughs> and you, you can go over there and there's in the space that on the wall would take up one patent since they're this way, stacked up like pancakes. There's all my patents and there's diplomas and that kind of stuff that are it's just a stack of things that I've gotten that I keep because I don't throw them out, but I don't display them because I feel like it would be weird to display them. I build my own musical instruments out of parts and all, and I like that they're good instruments. I put my initials on them, and one might think that's a sign of pride or whatever it is. Well, part of it is the fact that they don't say Fender or Gibson on them 
means if somebody goes to steal them, they'll go, what the hell is this? And walk away. <laughs> so you can say it's pride, but at some point it's also theft proofing. And the fact that, you know, I could put a sticker on there that pretends to be something that's not, and somebody might steal it. And if they find out what it really is, it's really not worth anything because it's not a name thing, but it's still a very nice musical instrument. So that's the things that I use with the most pride, maybe, because I spend a lot of time working on music. And I like my instruments, but I don't sit there and go, oh, mine's better than yours or whatever. Because the moment you get pride, particularly in music, the moment you get pride that you have a better musical instrument than the guy next to you, some kid will come in that's been playing for two years with a $200 guitar and just play your socks off and you go, oh, it's really not about the instrument, is it? <laughs> this is one thing I love about interviewing my friends for this podcast. I'm gifted with a glimpse into realms of thinking that vary from my own, yet have very relatable through lines. I have quite a few moment markers that are similar in a differently cool way to marks that I keep because of the moment that I received them, but I don't really have a need to display them. It's an interesting balance. Yeah, I earned them, and also I don't always need a reminder of them. And with Mark's handcrafted instruments, I love his perspective on non-comparison. The types of items you have doesn't determine your worth. The amount of meaning and work you invest behind those items does. To keep going with the music theme, Adrian told me a story about a moment-marking guitar when I asked him what one of his prized possessions is. I split that into two answers, and one of them is intangible. So the intangible thing would be attitude. And in Japanese martial arts, they've got the word kamai, which means how you hold your body, but it's also how you hold your mind, heart. There's a part of me that just won't let me give up. And I don't seem to have a choice about that. I've given up on things and it won't. So it sort of drags me kicking and screaming. I've run really difficult races of various lengths over tricky terrain and I just can't quit it's actually grueling but then you get to the end and then it lets me sit down or whatever so that's sort of an intangible this is not something I have anymore but there was a guitar I used to have it was this epiphone which is kind of like the cheap rendition of a Gibson it was an SG 400 and it was a black beautiful thing and about a week after I got it my First wife broke it right in the neck where it bolts on. And there was a crack there and it was fine. So years and years I played it and played it and played it. And then one night after we'd split up, I was just playing and I was standing up and I'd hardly ever stand up and play. And then as I was playing it, I strummed and it just came off the straps and it landed on the floor and split into two. And I was looking at it in these two bits and my mind was blown. It was like a piece of a dream. I woke up the next morning, they were still broken. And so in a way, I still have that in my head as a thing. And it's it's kind of a cherished memory just because I'm still busy unpicking it. There's so much that happened in that moment. And I, I've since replaced it with a used Epiphone. That's wonderful because it's got its own personality and it's teaching me things and I make awful noises on it. But it's the great guide. It's something I'm still thinking about. It was such a a beautiful moment. This happened about four months after I split with my first wife. And that was amicable. There wasn't crockery flying or anything, but it's still surgery without anesthetic. So in a way, it was some kind of a physical 
manifestation of the brick. And it was interesting that she had damaged the guitar years before, and that cast a long shadow, but in a way it was a really good thing because it gave me the opportunity to have that moment. <laughs> that is for sure a really definitive moment marker. When I listen to this story, it feels like a moment that insists on being recognized. It wasn't planned or intentional, it just happened. And it had incredible meaning that's still being discovered to this day by Adrian. I am flabbergasted. We're going to hear one more story from Adrian about a personally significant object of his. This story came after I asked Adrian about significant heirlooms in his life. As a quick warning, this story does contain language about childhood physical discipline. There's one that's significant to me, but not necessarily to, say, my parents or anything. And it's kind of a dark example, so I'm just throwing up signs. My father used to beat us with a belt, and it was a very particular belt. And I remember when I was in my 20s, I moved out of the house, and I took the belt with me. It sounds like a funny thing to do, but I took the belt with me, and so he couldn't use it. And I didn't wear it or anything. I just kept it in a cupboard somewhere. I don't know where it is now. It's been years, and I, it disappeared at some point. But if he didn't have it, he couldn't use it. So it's weird what totems are. I think of totems as not necessarily just a thing. They can be a practice. They can be a shape. So you could draw one, and it could still be a totem. It's an amulet, in a way. There's something similar between amulets and totems, because they have something to hold something you believe or want to believe or are afraid of believing or have to deal with. Getting that belt, I didn't know what I was doing. It. I knew, I knew why I was taking it, but I didn't understand why I was taking the belt. I wasn't sort of thinking, oh, if he doesn't have the belt, he can't hit anyone. I, I just thought, I need to take this belt out of here. So it was a pure instinctive behavior action choice, you know. This story gets me every time. Adrian's instinct pushed him to take action, to take his power back and immediately use that personal power and belief to draw a line and say no more. I love what Adrian said about totems not just being things, but being a practice. To me, this feels like taking time to remember my successes, my moments of overcoming, that I actually am supported even when my emotions feel that I'm alone. This is agency. This is a key part of being fully human. My friend Elizabeth graciously sent me this story after listening to some of the bonus episodes I published earlier in the year. I think it is the perfect story to end today's episode with. Hi, my name is Elizabeth, and I live in the Chicagoland area, and I thought I'd share with you today about my favorite possession that gets me through. For those fellow nerds who loved reading the Little House on the Prairie book series and have committed every detail to memory like me, you'll recall a possession that was very special to Ma Ingalls, her china shepherdess. It was a small painted figurine that she treasured and displayed in a prominent place in each of the family's homes through the years, in the little house in the big woods of Wisconsin, on the banks of Plum Creek near Walnut Creek, Minnesota, 
in Burr Oak, Iowa, and even on the uncharted plains of the Dakota Territory. The China Shepherdess was always wrapped up and packed away with care in their covered wagon as they embarked on their next adventure, many of which involved extreme hardships. But the China Shepherdess was a constant. No matter their living conditions or difficult circumstances, she brought comfort to Ma and her daughters. And once, as Ma unpacked her and set her into place in their new home, she told them she did not travel this far to get broken. She survived blizzards, floods, and even a plague of locusts. She was a symbol of the family's perseverance, and she is now on display at one of the Ingalls family historic sites in South Dakota. I don't have an actual China Shepherdess, but my own version, it's a prized photograph of my mother. It's her high school senior portrait from North High School in Columbus, Ohio, printed in black and white in 1962, and it's prominently displayed in a not very formal way in my home, on my refrigerator. The kitchen is a place I do my very best worrying, worrying about work, about my husband being unemployed, about my two teenagers becoming happy, well-adjusted adult contributors to society, about my friends going through difficult times in their marriages or with their health. I bring home all the stresses of the day and I head right for the stove to get dinner going for my family. And I catch a glimpse of my mom's photo each time I pass by the fridge and I think of all that she's endured, crossing each day off the calendar while my dad was away serving in Vietnam with the 1st Infantry Division of the Army not hearing any word from him for weeks at a time while she lived with her sister, whose husband was also away serving in Vietnam as an in-flight surgeon in the Air Force. They leaned on one another for support one day at a time until their husbands returned safely home. Surviving a near-fatal car accident after being ejected through the windshield in the dark of night on a country road and almost not found by the police. Moving many times to new states without the support of family as my dad advanced in his career and was transferred to a new location, having to start over and make new friends each time. Raising a sometimes moody and difficult teenager, that's me, and now being the support person for her best friend next door as she navigates caring for her ailing husband. Life has many unexpected turns and each one comes with its own challenges, but also its own beauty. When I was going to the hospital to deliver my first baby, my mom said to me, you can do this, it's just one day, and you can do anything, anything, for just one day. And so, my black and white photo of my mom on the refrigerator door is my own modern day China Shepherdess, my constant reminder of how to persevere. And so, here we are. So here we are. What an amazingly thought-provoking episode about marking moments. I'm so grateful to Taylor, Mark, Adrian, and Elizabeth for sharing your stories with me. I love featuring stories of human experiences. If you've got a story you'd like me to hear, please record a voice memo and email it to me at herewearethepodcast at gmail.com. You can also call the storyline and tell me your story there. 312-620-0567. If you like what I'm doing, please take a few moments and share this podcast with someone you love. This will help me continue to increase the spread of this podcast and to help the stories I've been given continue to live on. 
If you would like to do more, join my Patreon tribe for as little as two bucks a month. You can help me keep this podcast going financially and hear some of the full-length interviews of the delightful humans I've talked to along the way. A few months back, my friend Lisa sent me the most apropos poem to conclude this series. It's called Storage by Mary Oliver. When I moved from one house to another, there were many things I had no room for. What does one do? I rented a storage space and filled it. Years passed. Occasionally, I went there and looked in, but nothing happened. Not a single twinge of the heart. As I grew older, the things I cared about grew fewer, but were more important. So one day, I undid the lock and called the trash man. He took everything. I felt like the little donkey when his burden was finally lifted. Things! Burn them! Burn them! Make a beautiful fire! More room in your heart for love, for the trees, for the birds who own nothing. The reason they can fly. May you take that with you as you go into the rest of your day today. As always, remember that curiosity wins and the world needs more nerds. Bye.